G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz with episode 173 of the Outback Mind podcast. Appreciate you joining in once again. Uh, thank you very much for all the kind messages and uh, Feedback from some of the podcasts we've had recently, um, yeah, some awesome guests coming along with uh, lots of different experiences and, um, and some great uh, input uh, around what's been going on in their communities and in their own lives to be able to sort of help empower and inspire others out there. And uh, today I've got a very special guest along, uh, Craig Scott, who's the president of the Goodwood Football Club in South Australia. Now, uh, sadly... Uh, Goodwood uh, lost three players to suicide uh, over a short period of time, one of them being former ex-AFL player Shane Tuck, um, who was well known as a Richmond player. Um, his father Michael was obviously one of the, the game's greats. Um, yeah, so uh, unfortunately Craig had to be um, the man responsible for pulling everything together uh, and keeping the club uh, intact uh, throughout that sort of trying period. And it's, you know, it's happened too much over the last um, the last you know 10 20 years uh, in regional football this type of stuff so you know my purpose is to be able to empower people so we can be more self-aware and uh, we can manage our mental health better so we don't need to be looking at uh, uh, these sorts of consequences and um, you know we want to try and stamp out suicide in general uh, we want to we want a zero uh, suicide rate in Australia uh, I think that's definitely achievable and um, with uh, your help and support by listening into this and sharing with others, um, you know, it's going to help uh, someone out there who's possibly struggling. So, um, you know, that's really what it's all about, being able to help others turn the corner and uh, realise that um, what they're going through is not, uh, they're not alone in many ways. There's lots of people out there that struggle with things and, you know, by, by, by listening to the experience of others and also, you know, having the courage to talk about your own experiences, um, it can really help um, help you move forward. Uh, so please share this podcast. It's going to be quite deep and detailed uh, about what's happened. And um, yeah, unfortunately, these are the conversations we need to have to make, to make change. So appreciate, um, appreciate you listening in. Uh, also, wanted to make um, special mention to The Real Shift to support the podcast. So uh, The Real Shift provide a nine-week deep dive program uh, basically to help people that are going through uh, challenges. Um, uh, so Mick and Amy Stooth have got an organisation uh, basically helping uh, people over a nine-week program called The Deep Dive and basically exploring all things uh, well-being, uh, what's blocking people, what's able to be, be sort of delivered and made available to their lives to be able to help them move through it's a great investment, uh, not expensive at all, uh, in yourself and in your own well-being. So um, I really encourage you to check out the website. It's just therealshift.com. Uh, if you go to therealshift.com forward slash deep dive, you'll see a bit about that program. Uh, and it's uh, uh, available to Outback Mind listeners. Uh, you get a discount, basically. I think it's 10%. So, um, you know, it's, it's less than $1,000 for a great uh, comprehensive nine-week program. I think it's, it's excellent value. So please jump on and support them. Uh, and also, we're setting up the Outback Mind as a foundation soon. Uh, we're just waiting on final approval for that. And we're really wanting support of, um, of, of, of regional uh, Australian businesses to be able to help us with the work we're doing uh, with uh, mental health um, within men's uh, uh, workplaces in football clubs and other, uh, other regional towns to be able to sort of provide more world, uh, wellbeing solutions for guys, you know, which is, uh, which is badly needed. And uh, I think we've got a nice uh, outfit and program here, so I'd love to be able to discuss that with you or uh, an organisation that you may know who may be interested in getting involved and helping us out. Please uh, contact me, support at outbackmind.com.au. All right, appreciate your, your feedback on this conversation with Craig and I. As I said, it uh, may be challenging at times to some, but um, yeah, listen at your own pace and um, yeah, as I mentioned, share it with others. G'day, Craig. Hello, Aaron. How are you? Very well, mate. Um, now, really grateful um, that you're joining me because I'm half an hour ahead of you in time, I, I've just found out. So it's, uh, <laughs> we got our times buggered up there, but anyway, that's the way it goes. No problems at all. How's things in South Australia, mate? Um, I haven't really kept tabs of um, the AFL and uh, how Port or Adelaide are going this year, but um, uh, how's the state of play in South Australian football at the present time? 
Yeah, look, it seems to be you either bank for the power or you bank for the crows, and uh, there are a spattering of uh, other supporters of other teams. But uh, you know, I think if you're a crows supporter, you'd probably be depressed. Yeah. And if you're a power supporter, you might be thinking, beauty, we're, we're back on track here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, footy-wise, and it's great rivalry, as you can imagine. For sure. Actually, I did see the crows from the bottom, aren't they? Uh, just about, I think, and then they lost on the weekend. Right. Um, and so, but the power won. So, uh, everyone knows that Monday at work, um, you'll have your Crows Cup missing, and uh, the power supporters will be uh, taking the uh, PIWS out of people. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's it. That's uh, good, right? That's why footy's so good, you know, because um, you can talk about it and, um, and muck around with it. And it, it does give you a bit of a common purpose, which is great. Yeah, agree, mate. And, uh, you know, being a born and bred South Australian, it would have been a lot of your life sort of involved with football. You know, South Australian football, when I was a young fella, was really strong. Uh, you know, the, the SANFL and, uh, and so forth. And to their credit, you know, my observation is that they've kept it... Um, uh, pretty elite over there, you know, the standards still very good and, um, uh, you know, back in the day it was such a great competition. A lot of lot of guys from Horsham where I was from went over there and played and, um, yeah, I just think the pathway through to the AFL uh, seems pretty pretty tight and, uh, and successful. Yeah, the SNFL has been strong for some time. Um, they play WA today in the state game over at uh, Optus Stadium, so it'll be interesting to see how they go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a different, um, I remember in my day, uh, I knew just about every footballer on every side and you would go to watch, even an opposition, two opposition sides, I remember going to watch Port Adelaide and Sturt, mm. um, particularly to watch Russell Eva play and Barry Robran and uh, yeah. just some of the legends of footy, um, even though I was a Cronelg supporter, um, I lived close to Sturt, so we'd go and watch them and um, but unfortunately now, gee, I'd, I'd probably be struggling to name three or four players mm. from the Glenelg side. So, um, you know, you do focus on the AFL. and not sure whether I'm a fan of the way the AFL is being played at the moment. So that's why the local competition, I think, is, is fills that gap because people really have a connection with the players, connection with the club, and um, it's almost the old-style footy of... Uh, Keeping down the line and uh, taking the strong mark and um, not worrying about uh, getting 50 metre penalties for telling the umpire they might have got their decision wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's changed a lot, isn't it? Yeah, hasn't it? You know, like really, you compare your father when he was the same age as you and my father, like football was pretty much the same, you know, from when they were a kid to when they got older. It didn't really change that much, but we've seen a hell of a lot of change over the last, you know, 30 or 40 years. Yeah, look, I, and I certainly do understand that you've got, at the end of every year, you, you've got to debrief your season and work out, uh, you know, what's going well, what we can improve in, and what rules do we need to change. But, geez, I just find there are so many rule changes. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm personally a uh, an advocate of changing our culture from the abuse that is given to umpires. Um, mm. I know personally in South Australia that we've seen a decline in umpires and uh, when you speak to the umpires, they say, you know, why would I want to go and umpire a game of footy and have some idiot on the sideline spend the whole game abusing me? Mm. And, and I agree with that. I think that's disgraceful. I think if we just put our time and energy into uh, barracking for our side, um, then that would be a lot healthier. Um, and I always go and look at rugby union. The way they treat the umpires is absolutely amazing. Yes. With great respect, they call the umpires sir or, or um, you know, with some of the female umpires madam. Um, it's a very respectful game and I think AFL needs to um, keep up with society and move down that track. But I'm not really sure uh, looking at the umpire and put your arms in the air is, uh, is the way to do it. Mate, I never realised that sort of that was still going on, to be honest, and I'm really disappointed to hear that. But uh, you know, those conversations were starting to spark up 20 years ago. You know, we've got to change mm. the way we, we 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 go about treating umpires, and there was the same problem going on back then. I still can't believe that it's happening now. Look, it's one of the reasons why I actually don't go uh, and watch many AFL games because I just get so frustrated with the supporters. Mm. 
and I and I'll sometimes go as a neutral type uh, supporter, and, and I, I look at the game and think, are you looking at the same game I'm seeing? Like every time a player gets tackled, it's ball, and you know when the umpire doesn't say hold the ball, they abuse the umpire, and I think. That's why I really encourage uh, some of our uh, junior footballers to umpire with the SNFL juniors Mm because I think it really opens your eyes about how difficult it is to umpire, how important it is to get in the right position so you can see what's happening. Um, And and once you've umpired, you do know that sometimes you do make guesses. You, you, You can't see 360, so you kind of think, yeah, I think he took the mark and... Of course, people on the other side see that the ball dropped on the ground and, uh, you know, let you know about it. So, mm. um, but, but that's like life, though, isn't it, Aaron? It's about education. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And, yeah, it's the way the way people are educated. Obviously, what the NRL and the uh, the rugby union are doing, they're, they're actually doing it well. You know, what what's happened in the AFL obviously hasn't worked, so there's got to be another way of going about it. You know, you can obviously talk about remunerating umpires more to, to, to do the job. But, you know, it's not about, you know, competition. I don't believe it's about humanity, um, you know, to be able to sort of treat other individuals with respect for what they're doing, whether they're playing on the other side or, you know, being a neutral like an umpire, they still need some respect as a human. I still, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed to see that that sort of stuff still, still carries on, mate. I think at a community level, it's uh, a lot easier to control. Um, mm. I really focus at our club with our supporters that if someone does say something that's inappropriate or abusing an umpire, I would hope someone near them would say, hey, hey, Joe, come on, come down. Mm. Let's just focus on our side. And uh, and I think that's the way you change it, where you actually have your standards and yes. that's not the standard we accept. And so if someone pulls them up on it, I think if no one pulls them up on it, then it almost becomes the accepted standards. So that's uh, it's a little bit harder in the AFL with 50,000 people in the stadium, but certainly at the club level, I think uh, officials and supporters can monitor each other. Yes, agree. Just one thing that came to mind then, like it took it like a disruption, like with what Adam Goods did a few years ago to be able to sort of make uh, an example or, or awareness of, uh, of that, you know, you don't want to see that going on. Uh, again, with regards to umpire copying it, but, you know, there's got to be some way where uh, an intervention's put in place where, where people, you know, uh, are maybe having to second uh, guess about what they're saying to people because, you know, the ripple effect on that's obviously uh, having a huge impact. It's almost like that group mentality, though, isn't it? It's also accepted behaviour and and Adam Bridge is a really good example of how that's impacted on him. And I'm looking at um, Tex Walker at the moment, and every time he gets the ball, you know, everyone boos. And it's mm. again that group mentality. But if, if you know, sometimes if they knew the full story or the impact that it's had on on him yes. and the mental stress that he's been through, I think they might be different. And I bet you, if it was just one on one, they wouldn't say anything. But when you've got the large group, it just seems to be the norm. So, uh, and, and they can get away with it as well. Mm. Um, but as a club, I'd be interested to see whether clubs, after they play the Crows and everyone boos, do they actually write to the members and say, look, this is not us, this is not the standard we accept and we just asked you not to do it. But mm. you know, what's yes. the chances of that, I suppose? But at least the club does something about it. Agree, that's right, mate. And, you know, there's a difference between being passionate and being sensible. And, uh, you know, you don't know what someone's going through. So, you know, those, uh, those um, you know, negative responses can have a tremendous effect on, on that individual as well, as it probably did on Adam Goods, obviously, and, um, you know, many others out there at, at various levels, you know, whether that be through sport or, or life. And, you know, I was one of those young fellows that uh, would easily slag off, but, you know, eventually I, was, I matured. It took a while, but, you know, geez, um, uh, I'm, I'm very quick to jump onto it now if I hear someone, you know, um, you know, talking to, talking about someone else negatively or, you know, in that, in that environment where it can, you know, maybe, maybe impact an individual. And, you know, there's always... There's always uh, something going on behind the behaviour, I think, in many ways, you know, whether that's, um, uh, you know, a personal level or, or whatever, we don't sort of, um, we don't sort of see, uh, you know, what that might look like. We're, we're very quick to judge in many ways, and uh, I just think if we can be a little bit more respectful of what the individuals are displaying, um, then I think, yeah, we have more compassion for 
what what uh, in which way we uh, we actually communicate with them and what comes out, you know, I suppose. Well, I reckon you made a very, very, very good point because we had a uh, supporter who was um, slagging umpires and I had to go and speak to him. And uh, then the, a couple of weeks later, he was doing it again. So I ended up having a coffee with him. And by having the coffee, I learned that he'd lost his job. He was uh, suffering physically and also mentally. Mm. And so um, he just, he needed some support. He really did. And, and that was his way of uh, letting his frustrations out by going to the footy and just abusing. And, you know, sometimes he'd say some things that others thought were funny. And so the more they kind of laughed, the more he did it, thinking that, you know, this is all acceptable. But um, I meet with him every probably three or four months. We have a coffee and uh, we just get him involved in doing some history stuff for the club. So Mm -hmm. now he feels like he is doing something positive for the club and he also feels that he's obligated to pull his head in. So yes. it was a it was a win, but when you learn a little bit more, there's normally stories behind it, as you said. Yeah, absolutely, and you know it's 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 quite common. Um, we're becoming more aware of this now, but uh, you know there's there's been lots of uh, lots of fellas, uh, young fellas in particular, that have uh, displayed um, you know uh, different sorts of behaviours that we've, we've we've judged them, we've labelled them in the past, but you know really there's there's something deeper going on, and that's a prime example of that. You know someone's verbally abusing out uh you know having an outburst um uh you know to a situation but uh there's usually a lot more behind that so yeah it's, it's really well said and, and a great um a great example of um you know uh being being more self-aware you know of, of, of our emotions primarily because we we don't actually understand as men uh what what sort of is boiling away inside of us and and you know how to release that um that cortisol uh, positively uh, and that yep. testosterone positively because you know we do it in a negative way but we don't actually realize we're actually doing it sometimes you know yeah it's a very good point and uh, and that's really probably leads us into what we're talking about today is uh, is I think we're very educated in are you okay mm. I think we have one day a year but which obviously is not the only day it's it's encouraging us to ask that question but I think we're now moving into that next stage of when someone replies, no, I'm not, well, then what do we do? Yes. And, and what things have we got in place to, to try and help that person who's identified they're having some problems? Yes. Oh, look, you know, the way I see it, Craig, is, you know, the model is redundant now. It's, it's very reactive, you know, where we've got to be really on the front foot with regards to this stuff. Like, geez, the way, the way we educate sometimes happened before the internet, you know, and uh, a lot of the things that uh, we've got in our lives now are uh, a, lot, a lot more stimulative than what they were back then. Um, so we've got to be able to be a little bit more proactive with the, with the way we actually, um, you know, look at managing our nervous system and our mental health and those sorts of things so we can self-regulate. I, I really think that's an important part of being a human. Um, you know, exactly. Yeah, it's it's okay to do it with a few beers or whatever, but that can take you to the negative part of your mind where you do display behaviours like that gentleman, you know. And those are uh, those those um, uh, I suppose uh, feelings and emotions start to become bottled up, and they become outbursts, and then they become you know poor behaviours. And uh, you know, I just think as men, we we don't understand uh, ourselves. We've had to you know. Um, live in a forceful uh, life um, primarily by being able to sort of, you know, work to support the economy, do all these sorts of things without really getting to know how to manage ourselves and our own emotions. And, and that's probably yeah. the next part of the journey we're going to start to look to wor- work towards, I guess. Definitely. Mate, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of, we'll, we'll get into, you know, your situation uh, that happened there at Goodwood a few years ago where you, you did... Uh, lose a few players um, what was that sort of like at the time that sort of come like as a, as a obviously a shock um, to you with regards to, to what happened to Shane Tuck as he sort of you know was only at the club for a short period of time um, how did that sort of impact yourself and, and the, the club in general and how did you sort of manage that process from there I suppose it was uh, right 
in the midst of COVID. So it was 2020. And we were all just trying to get our heads around this new world that we were living in and mm. basically being home for some period of time. Um, and then we, we knew we were quite close with Jane and the family and uh, we knew he was having some battles. Um, and a couple of uh, people within the club were very close with Shane and mm. keeping regular contact with him. Mm. Um, and so when the news came that uh, um, he'd taken his life, it was just... It really impacted on the club hugely. Our coach, Luke Donaldson, played with Shane at West Adelaide and uh, was very close to him uh, over in Victoria as well. Mm. Um, and so it really kind of hit us. And then not long after, we had uh, uh, two of our C-grade players who had played a few games for the club and they also had taken their life. And, mm. you know, this is the thing. Uh, uh, I only thought about this today um, with... You know, when, when someone like Shane Tuck takes his life, the whole club impacts and whatever. But when a C grader where a lot might not know them, mm. they don't really get it as much. But it, it's just as devastating. Yeah. Whether you played C grade or A grade or AFL, when someone makes that decision, that that is their solution to their current problem. Mm. You, and as you would know with suicide, all of us always ask why. We can't comprehend how that could be the solution. Mm. But when you are in that darker place, that seems the only solution. Mm. So it really impacted on us. And our club's done quite a lot of training in relation to mental health. And we've, um, we've done some suicide awareness training. But it, it was about, look, we do a lot of training. We, we ask the question, okay, but... What do we do when someone says, no, I'm not? Mm. And I suppose with Shane and the two other players that uh, um, we lost, is none of them were involved in the club mm. or any, any club. They'd actually had a disconnect from the club. Mm. And we certainly identified that as being one of the issues, mm. um, that uh, all three were in a dark place and, and were suffering from depression. Mm. And this is where, and it's not just footy, this is where... Any sporting club can be a massive difference in someone's life because it's about sense of purpose, it's about belonging, um, having people around you, family. And so, therefore, our next step was to actually say, well, what can we do for people um, to keep them involved in the club? And if they are having troubles, what can we do for them? Mm-hmm. Mate, um, firstly, well done for, for having that, that approach and mindset. But you know, realistically, when you when you you, you sort of drill down on it, um, uh, you're right. The disconnection uh, is is obvious, but but no one's really aware enough to be able to sort of go and follow up or, or how to go about it. You know how to sort of you know identify it, manage it, and then sort of move through uh, that assistance process. You know. Um, with regards to Shane, obviously he'd been involved with the club, then he sort of disconnected for a period of time before that uh, event. Is that what happened? Yeah, and he was living. Um, he was living in SA for a while, and then moved back to I think it was Country Victoria, and uh, and again that disconnect with our club certainly happened. And um, uh, yeah, look, there were there were a lot of issues happening, and uh, like anything though, Aaron. You only know what you know. So with all this sort of stuff, it relies on someone telling you that Craig Scott is struggling. Mm. And then the club can go, right, okay, what can we do? But if you don't know about it, that makes it difficult. And so that's another part of what we've been implementing at the club is to try and make sure people um, contact our player welfare group Mm. who can then follow up. And, And... Probably the critical thing was forming that player welfare group so they knew there was a person that they could contact to identify that one of our past players or even a current player is struggling and, you know, can you can you provide some support for them? Yes, yep. Amazing, mate. And, and you know, you need to be proud of yourself for having that committee or that, uh, that group of people together that focuses on player welfare. I quite often talk about it, and people that listen to this podcast are probably sick of me harping on about the opportunity that a club has, like a football club and also a workplace, to be able to be a, 
just a, a key support for an individual, you know, rather than the transactional support. And um, uh, yeah, you know, the, the foundations of a, of a club in general and to be able to continually improve on that framework, I think is really key because uh, yeah, you, you don't know, like a young guy comes and signs up with a club, with your club, you know, he wants to game a footy. You don't know what the hell he's been through or what he's going through primarily. So you're taking on a lot of that, you know, but you've also got to have the ability to be able to react to it if need be and be prepared for that. But, uh, you know, we want to get to a stage where the reaction time is, is a lot less than the proaction time, you know, so being more proactive about this sort of stuff, uh, I think is really important. And the evidence is mounting up, you know, with your experience, but also other other clubs and, and other communities that are, that are having to go through these sorts of um, you know, circumstances is um, is continually, um, you know, uh, evolving and, and, and unfortunately escalating. But I just think you guys, you know, you really need to be congratulated for, 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 for taking that on and, um, and starting to form a you know, structure which can be really supportive of the individuals and, and people are going to want to go, on there, go there and play for those reasons, I would have thought as well. Yeah, well, and look, it, 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 there's many reasons and it's supporting the players, supporting past players. It's uh, showing that the club actually does care about the people. I always remember someone saying that, you know, you your players or your staff are the most important part of your business. Yeah. And so therefore, without players, without our players, then there is no Goodwood Saints Football Club. Mm. So they are the most important part of our club and we've got to support them. And yet we will definitely get some players. I certainly think we keep players um, who are offered money at other clubs and they say, no, I want to stay here because of just the family sort of atmosphere we have. Mm. And then we also pick up some sponsors as well who love the direction the club's going and uh, want to be involved in that. So don't just want to throw money into the club, they want to throw money into our mental health program. Mm, great. Yeah, mate, that, that's, that's tremendous to see, you know, because uh, they, they, they know the, the, the transaction is, uh, you know, going to benefit a lot of people, uh, you know, and, uh, um, yeah, to be able to facilitate that right and, and continually improve and involve on that, I think, you know, really, really key. Do you, uh, do you have, obviously, a long association with the club yourself? Uh, yes. Uh, so I'm 58. I came out to the Goodwood Football Club at that stage when I was 14 and played under 15s um, and have been involved ever since. I played um, B grade, uh, A grade, just only a handful of A grade games. So I identified that it, my best uh, assistance to the club certainly wasn't in the playing arena. It was probably more <laughs> in the management arena. So um, I've been on the committee. I've been present in the 90s and back again. This is my sixth year as president of the football club. Mm, so, yeah, obviously uh, it's a strong part of you and your life and I'd imagine there'd be other individuals that have been around for a while as well. And to you, how important is that, that club to, to you as an individual? Well, I would say it shaped me as a person. Um, I'm far more confident in being able to speak in front of large groups, um, which, as you know, it's, it's, it is the greatest fear of most people. Um, and it's not something that I, I still I still get butterflies about. So a lot of people say, oh, you know, you, you speak so well in front of groups. And if they knew how much I struggle with it, they'd go, oh, gee, what do you do with them? But... Um, Look, it's uh, it's taught me a lot. It's it's um, you know the president I was in the '90s compared to now is completely different because I was so focused on uh, how many sausages we were going to cook on a Saturday and uh, you know who was going to be in the canteen and uh, you know do we get West End beer or Coopers or whatever <laughs> and exactly something. <laughs> um, but now it's about. Our mental health programs. It's about um, getting um, headspace to our club to speak to our under 16s. It's about uh, all a lot higher level strategic directions, and that's because I have such a, a great football department that just runs the footy, mm. and so we as a board can look at a high level of direction of where the club goes and how we can make it a better club, mm. and that does make a difference. Amazing, mate. Do you, you think about it now compared to when you first arrived there? What are the major changes that uh, that's happened over the last forty years? 
Well, when I first went out to Goodwood, we had an under-15 and under-17 side, and we had a B-grade and A-grade. So that was it. We had four teams. And now we have 22 teams. We have uh, seven female teams. We have a side with integration uh, difficulties and disabilities. Um, we've got an A, B and C grade side and 16 junior sides. So it's, it's an enormous club. Our Oz kick has 120 participants. So it is a really, really large club. And, uh, and to do that, you need lots of volunteers and good committees. So we have a junior committee that just looks after specifically all the juniors. We have a management committee that looks after the strategic direction of the club. And then we have underneath that all these different silos where we've got football and training and mental health and player welfare and so on. So um, it, is, it is big and it is extremely time consuming. Um, but the way we're going, I, I would see our club having probably a, a paid CEO um, in the next probably three or four years. Mm. Mate, and, and just, just thinking of then, like you know, you're obviously not paid for what you do and, and you... Um, work full-time as well, so it's a lot for you to be able to take on, but obviously it's something that nourishes you as an individual, and, and that's really important for, for mental, for your own mental health, I, I guess, as well. But, um, you know, to have an outfit with 22 teams, that's, uh, geez, what are we looking at? Probably 250 people, uh, and plus everyone else around that. You know, if you looked at a workplace, they'd have so many managers in place, so many HR people and so forth to, to, to look after an organisation like that, you know. And if you, you sort of uh, put that into our hours, you know, if everyone's sort of spending five or six hours a week of their time in that environment, that, that's a hell of a lot of people around, you know. So there's lots of planning and development and so forth to go into a club. And I, I just don't think that we actually recognise that. And it's probably something that, um, that uh, you know, we can, we can look at uh, talking to government about in the future to be able to sort of direct better systems and pathways around education and, and mental health education because there's such a, uh, a huge catchment there that you have, um, you know, and people that are there and they're, they're engaged, you know, I think that's really important. And um, it's really pleasing to see that you're actually heading in that direction. You'll be able, able to possibly put someone on that can, um, that can sort of put a lot of structure in place and continue to maintain and grow the club. Definitely, and, and that means Sponsorship uh, may mean an increase in subs, but uh, it, it is a natural progression. And, and it really highlighted to me probably two years ago, we applied for a Clubs SA award um, for small business. And uh, we were in the medium category, um, which was over 500,000. So we were about a $550,000 business. And so you've got to run it like a business. Um, with 22 sides, 830 players, it has to be run like a business. But the problem is we're all volunteers and so we don't meet daily. We don't have every week a meeting. You know, you have a monthly meeting and you try and sort out everything mm. that's happened in the past month and what's coming up. Um, and it is time consuming. And to get the right type of people, um, I often, when I advertise for a position, I say only busy people apply mm. because they're the ones that know how to manage their time and know how to do things. So identifying who has the skill set to assist our club to continue to grow and to go in the right direction, mm. um, you know, I target those people and, and say to them, I, I would love you to come on the board and uh, be involved in this specific area. Mm. So on the board, we have nine people. Eight of those people are junior parents. Really? So that's... That's another thing that's, you know, so many people say to me, so I can't believe that. We've got, we've got old Bob and he's uh, 72 and he's been on there for 10 years and we've got Joe and, you know, it's a very male sort of dominated mm. board as well, but mm. ours has got three females on it and, uh, and, and a lot of them are professionals and they get what it takes to run a business. So, mm. and everyone's got a portfolio. There's no one on there just as a committee member. We have... Um, one of the ladies on the committee looks after culture and community and so that's our Indigenous Games, our mental health, breakthrough mental health rounds, um, anything to do with training, all that stuff comes under her and we have one that does communications and your standard sort of secretary, president sort of roles but yeah, it's, it really, um, it's changed a lot um, and as you can imagine, some people don't like change. Mm. I've heard a couple of people say, why can't we just focus on footy? <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, and and as I say, I, I don't need to focus on football. I've got a football department that does that. 
My role as the president is to focus on the community, is to focus on income, uh, looking after our players and growth of our club. Mm, mm, amazing, mate. And, and you're a policeman, you're not a businessman, so you don't really have that acumen anyway. No. Look, I've done a, uh, um, a Bachelor of Management um, and that, that has helped. Um, and been in the police force for 42 years and without a doubt I've got a lot of things from SAPOL that have helped me at the football club and one of them is the early assistance program which mm. is we have an employee assistance program at SAPOL and we've implemented an early assistance program for people struggling with mental health issues mm. uh, and that's taken straight from SAPOL. Mm. Amazing. Mate, that's, that's such a credit, a credit to you to be able to bring that framework into an environment like that. And do you know like, what the uptake's like? Is it getting utilised by your players much? Yeah, we had eight people access the program last year. Um, um, two were past players, six were current players. Mm. Um, and so basically what it is is we offer uh, five free sessions with a professional. We identify who would be the best person for them. Now, it may be childhood psychology, it could be sports psychologist, uh, trauma, whatever it may be, and we will pay for five sessions for that person. Mm. Some will go on a mental health plan, and so we just pay the gap, but some don't want to go to the local doctor and get a mental health plan and just want to get some help, and, and we do that again. So um, I, I can't tell you what the figures are this year because we only look at it at the end of the year, and... It is highly confidential, so mm. I can't tell you whether they're male or female or seniors or whatever they were. All I know is we had eight people, mm. um, and also I know the cost of it, but the cost has been um, supported by... We, we've had Goodwood Community um, Bank, which is uh, the Bendigo Bank, um, have supported us, and the local council supported us. So, and the reason why I mention that is because it alleviates any issues of how much is this going to cost us? Can we afford this? Yes. And by having those sponsors, I know we can afford it and I know we've got some capacity to grow the program. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It's taking a lot of stress and, pre stress and pressure off you as an individual because you need to worry about uh, you know your core role and so forth. And when you're worrying about how we're going to fix this mental health issue and you've got the support of the community business uh to be able to help with that i think that that's that's a credit to your 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 region uh in in general because they've they've recognized how powerful your outfit is and and being able to be involved in that and sort of help create some change i think's uh you know a credit to everyone around there and um um yeah mate i just think there's there's so much to learn from from other clubs from, from what you're doing there and uh, to be able to bring that into other communities as well Look, and it's a really critical point of it because it's all well and good to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to do an early assistance program, but we haven't got any sponsors, so the club will have to pay for it. Mm. If you have uh, 10 players access the program and a professional uh, session, let's say, costs $200, you're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars, which the club probably doesn't have. Mm. And so... You know, you, you might as a club go, yeah, we want to do this, but we haven't got the support. So what we did is we, we started really early looking at councils, looking at um, a business that would support it. We got the Goodwood Community Bank on, we got the council on, we knew we had the funds, and then we slowly started working out who were the right people to run this. So we had a, a, um, a player's mum who's a nurse. We have an injury management person. She's a nurse. Now, she's not involved in the club, but I've had dealings with her through another organisation I help out with called Operation Flinders, mm. where we take youth at risk up into the Flinders Ranges and, and do an eight-day trek. Yep. So I work with uh, Jackie, and uh, she's also a nurse, and she just looks after injury management. So if a player has a significant injury, she contacts them, makes sure we try and get them back involved in taking stats or doing something at the club, helps them out with the insurance and um, just supports them. Mm, um, so, you know, it's it's setting it up. And we hadn't even launched it last year and we had four people involved in the program before we even launched it. Mm, incredible, mate. <laughs> so people are keen. And, yeah, Operation Flinders, I, I have a lot of respect for what they do. That's that's tremendous. And, and you know, for you to get involved in something like that and, and you know, take, uh, take time out uh, of your own life to be able to go and support... Uh, you know, that operation and taking young fellas away, I think, is tremendous. Is that quite rewarding for you as an individual? 
Look, it is. I haven't been uh, on an exercise for probably about five years. Um, I've done nine exercises as a leader, um, and, and that is mentally draining. It is a, it's about 100 Ks, but it's not, it's not the walking that gets you. It's the hearing their stories from the youth. Mm. Um, I always remember my very first trip. It started with Opflinders in 94. And I think it was 95 was my first trip as a team leader. And I remember this girl sitting around, we were all sitting around the fire, and that's, this is when your stories come out, when you're sitting there staring at that fire. Mm. And she explained to me how she had to put a padlock on her door so her brother didn't come in and her dad didn't come in. Mm. I remember after we spoke to her for a while, I, I got up and everyone went to bed. And I, I walked into the bush, I reckon, you know, a few, few metres in, and, and I howled for about five minutes. Mm. And, and I, you know, I've been in the police force for a while, but I've always been on the other side of it. And and you actually see and really move into the victim's side of it was really overpowering. Yeah. And uh, it took me about two weeks to to get over that trip. Mm. It was very very emotional. So mm. yeah, look, it's it's rewarding. Um, and again, I've learned a lot from Operation Flinders that I brought into the football club. Mm because you can see what they do, you can see what works, and, and again, it's about education and, and about following it up. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Was there part of you that was angry when you heard that and you wanted to go and do something as a policeman to, to sort it out? Definitely, and, that, and that's, again, another thing that police officers have to be very, very aware of is, and, and, and it is so difficult as a police officer to not be emotional. Mm. Um, you, you cannot go and tell someone that a child or a relative has passed away and maybe a car crash and cry with them. Mm. You know, you, you've got to be very stoic and, and resilient. And so that's very hard as a police officer because we are emotional. And so you've got to try and divorce that. And that's why you'll see coppers quite often laugh at scenes where there's a crash or a murder or whatever mm. um, because that's their coping mechanism. You know, we do stupid things to each other because we try and cope with the situation because if you really just let your emotions go, we'd be a blubbering mess. Yes. And sometimes that's what does happen to some coppers. They just have have put it away somewhere for so long and not dealt with it and then all of a sudden it comes out. So Mm. hence why talking about things is probably the most important thing of all. Mm. Hence why you and I are doing exactly this podcast. Yeah, agree, mate. And, you know, you've probably seen a shift in that over the last, uh, you know, 40 years in the police force where there is a little bit of compassion about what you've held on to and what you've experienced, Uh, whereas, you know, the toughen up days maybe start slowly starting to go where you know you, you would have taken on a lot and a lot of coppers in general or or people in general not whether they're in emergency services but just in life you know we absorb a lot as guys we just don't know how to release it did you did you have like some moments uh in your earlier the early years where you sort of took on a lot and you didn't really know how to let it go look i i yeah uh, i only told the story um um i think last week to someone that um, we were driving along one of our main roads and there was a plane doing loop loops up and we were both, partner and I, looking at the plane in the air and it did a few loops and then suddenly it disappeared and we thought, well, where did that go? And if anyone knows Adelaide, uh, on the northern side of Adelaide, there are these massive pink salt planes and right in the middle of the field was the plane and it had crashed. So we got out and we, we waded through the water and unfortunately, both people with the plane had died. Mm. But um, after we dealt with it all, you know, very professional and notified everyone. Then we all went back to our station and the salt had slowly seeped all the way up our uniforms. And so it looked quite funny. And I remember us laughing and laughing and laughing. And, and I said to someone, imagine someone who's been involved in that would walk in and see five coppers all stand around laughing they think well that's not a natural thing to do Mm. but that's how you cope with it Mm. because if we all came back and just sat around and said right oh my god that's terrible two people died i think we just totally blow you in the end so um that's the way we cope but what we didn't do in those days is then debrief it properly either with our family or someone else afterwards we would just go right next job and away you go, and it's it's in there somewhere. It's shelved in there, mm. and and we've never actually addressed it. So, and because of 
that era, it was, you'll be right. Come on, get back on the horse and away we go. Um, and, and that's just not the way you handle things. So it's about talking about it. It's about expressing your feelings and this is how it makes me feel. And, and that makes you then get back on the horse and away you go. Mm, yeah, well, well said, mate. Really, really... Really well described, you know. That was uh, that was an experience which uh, was was obviously traumatic. Um, but yeah, like the emotional side to be able to release that um, physically, uh, you know, tears, laughter, you know, whatever running exercise, whatever it may be, to be able to like let that go. Otherwise, it stays stored in our bodies and it can create physical and mental disease and imbalance. And um, that's one of my jobs i suppose is to be able to help people understand that you know we, we've got to be able to let let stuff go and and manage our our emotions and our nervous system and be able to be you know be be as aware of that as we are with our, our physical health you know um i think it's 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 really important and yeah mate we we, we as 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 we've, we've sort of discussed we've experienced a lot over our, our sort of 40 50 years and you know, for you to be able to be doing what you're doing now, I think it's an absolute credit to you and, and a credit to your club uh, and a credit to the South Australian um, football community to be able to sort of have these, uh, the, these um, I suppose, structures in place now um, because there's only going to be growth. There's only going to be good things come from the adversities and challenges that we've been through. And unfortunately, we may see a slip up in that occasionally from time to time but you know my vision is that we we don't have um you know the episodes like you experienced in 2020 um uh, at all because we're we're equipping our people with the ability to be able to you know move through things um a little bit more proactively and, and quickly rather than sort of being stuck in states of depression and so forth and having the ability to be able to sort of you know move that on and and be, be able to be aware of our, our physical and mental well-being and, and you know, uh, have, a, have a different approach, mate, because, you know, uh, it's just amazing that year, that the year 2020, how that was just a springboard and it's a catalyst for growth as, for us as individuals, I think, if we can certainly see it that way. And I just reckon, um, you know, what you've done then has, has got you in a position where you're having a conversation with me now and, you know, um, there's going to be lots of good things come for your club uh, into the future. How are you going uh, this year on the field? Uh, look, um, prior to Saturday, uh, from first to seventh, they were all equal top with three <laughs> wins and two losses. So uh, in Division One of the Adelaide Footy League, it's extremely tight competition. We were lucky enough to win on Saturday. I think we're third at the moment. And... Probably who was top might be seventh or whatever. So it's a really good competition. The uh, B grade uh, had a win. All three sides had a win. Our two women's side had a win. So look, the club's very strong. Um, I can't remember. I think we've won 49 senior premierships since the amalgamation in 85. I, I, I just cannot think of a year where we haven't won a premiership in, in some grade. So mm. the club's extremely successful. Um, and, and that's because it's... It's, it's for a long, long time had a really good atmosphere and, and so people know that they're supported. And, and I suppose, you know, the point I'd love to make um, for other clubs is sometimes they think, oh, yeah, that's right, you know, you're a big club and you can bring in money and you've got lots of members, so you bring in lots of money. We don't have that, you know, we're a small club. Every club does something for mental health, mm. even if it's just providing the opportunity for people to play. Because as you know, and we talk about this at the football club, that we want to be physically fit and mentally fit. Mm. And so being physically fit goes towards being mentally fit. And so physical exercise is so important for your mental health. Yes. And so we uh, try and work with other clubs to support them, to show what we've done. And even a small club could say, look, we don't have that financial resources, but what I would say, if you wanted to start somewhere... Get one person, because every club does something for mental health or support players, but it might be the football director, it might be the coach, and if it's the coach or the football director, that means it's one role of numerous roles that they've got. Select one person that you know has got the skill set to be able to support players, and it may just be a phone call or to help them with the insurance or just to have a coffee with them, and that's their role. And therefore you know that... That's all they have to do. 
And the key then is letting them know when the player's been injured or letting them know when someone's struggling. And then you've got a, a program already. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, mate. Jeez. I'll tell you what. Um, I, I just think, yeah, like you you having the ability to, to – this this is the trap, you know, that, that's faced in a lot of, a lot of regional sport is uh, – us against them, you know, we're not sharing resources, we're not talking this, that and the other, we hate each other, but if, if you're, you've got the ability to be able to use your skills and tools and resources to help another club and other individuals, I think that is an absolute credit to you and, and your outfit there because that's what we need more of, mate. We've got to have more collaboration to be able to uh, not so much address a problem but be proactive um, against the problem, you know, and, uh, and just certainly, um, you know, help each other out and whoever whoever wins on the day is is second uh to uh what's actually going on with uh supporting individuals in in your community and uh and beyond that you know because that can have a ripple effect into their home lives and everyone else around them i i, I think for sure yeah i suppose it, it depends on what your priority is is your priority just your football club or is it the fact that we play football yes and i certainly myself don't want to be playing three other clubs and that's it for the whole season. Yes. Um, and regional uh, Australia, there would be clubs there that are struggling. Terrible. And so I kind of feel that it's an obligation for the real strong ones to work with those clubs that are struggling to assist them. And it may be as simple as giving them some documents, giving them some policies that, that they put together that the smaller club don't have the opportunity to be able to do that. So I'm, I'm really keen next year to look at a bit of a buddy program Mm. where our club might work with a Division 7 side and uh, who, who are struggling a bit because they don't have many volunteers and we can share some of the things that we've put together and give to them to try and assist them because uh, it, it is about the bigger picture. It is about, and, I, and I, obviously my background is football, but it doesn't have to be footy. It could be netball, it could be soccer, it could be any type of sport that you need to have all the clubs so if clubs fall away, it's an indictment in the organisation and to the other clubs who need to be supporting each other. Yes. Yeah, mate. Look, you know, I had Mitchell Cook on from the Mackay Cutters yesterday, um, second-tier comp in Queensland rugby and the pathway program that they've got with the uh, you know, Townsville Cowboys, you know, as an example. But there's nothing stopping Goodwood having an affiliation with Holden Hill you know, Football Club uh, to be able to provide you know, skills, tools and resources back to them. Uh, to uh, you know, not only provide player pathways, but also just uh, you know, uh, administration and, and well-being support in general. And I just think that that, that collaboration is is key moving forward. And that's been the the, the Achilles heel for a lot of uh, rural and regional footy clubs because they've still got the old thinking uh, about what happened back in nineteen eighty seven, where you know Barry whacked Bob and that sort of thing. And, yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of guys won't let go of that, and that's why a lot of clubs aren't around anymore. You know, unfortunately, um, because of that. Uh, that mindset, but I just think we've got to take a different approach now. The way we do business has changed, the way we run clubs has changed, the way we, we, we manage people has changed, you know? Um, so yeah, so the more collaboration we can have and the pathways, um, you know, forward for others, I think um, uh, can can be a tremendous help, uh, you know, to an individual's life, whether they are struggling or not, you know? I just think it's, um, it's so important to, for, for you to be able to help uh, a president in another club that, uh, that may have no, business acumen um, through the you know the skills that you've been able to develop and that's only going to improve them as an individual and improve their outfits and you know that's the way I think we've got to we've got to start to look at things moving forward yeah as I say I, I, I won't tell them uh, what our training drills are or uh, what our game plan is probably two reasons one I wouldn't have a clue <laughs> and two you know we still want to win but share anything else more than happy to do yeah. that and awesome. we had a, a football side in the riverland this year cobb dobbler football club and they had their agm and they couldn't fill a committee and they couldn't get enough volunteers mm. so they've actually not so much folded they're not playing this year and they're going to try and work to try and get a side together next year but i look at that and think in the riverland you know country footy is all about everyone helping out you know you've got yeah. your netball being played you've got your footy being played everyone comes back to the club it's a real community atmosphere mm. and to hear that they couldn't get enough volunteers 
to run their program uh, is really devastating. And, and I've certainly noticed at our club this year that it has been hard to get volunteers. Mm. People are tired. People are really exhausted from three years of COVID. Um, mm. And people just, you know, are reprioritising and... Um, and it is difficult. It is really difficult. Mm, mate, what, what you're doing works. And I think, yeah, the more of that you can reach out there um, to help others, you know, even, even better, you know. And it's great that you've got your vision outside the, the area that you're in and what else is ha- happening in, in regional South Australian football and, and beyond that, you know. And uh, it's interesting what come to me, as you were saying, that I was talking to Hamish Ogilvy the other day, who's uh, the Crows recruiting manager. And he's from, from Tassie. I sort of know him from down there. And, you know, Glenorchy Football Club, which is in the, the main comp down there, couldn't get a reserves in an under-18 side. So, um, you know, that's, that's a bit of a worry when you're talking at a higher level, not being able to fill, fill numbers, you know. So we've got to start to maybe have a bit more of a, a different uh, approach to the way that we, uh, that we do things in the future. And it's, it's, it's a tricky thing, isn't it? You know, we've got so many options as individuals now compared to what we had when we were young fellas, you know. Um, so we just got to look at different ways on how we can sort of collaborate and get things uh, moving forward to, to benefit the community in general. You know, it's really, really interesting that you mentioned the Glenorchy Footy Club because uh, one of my um, papers I was, I was doing some research on involved the Glenorchy Footy Club. Mm-hmm. And, and what it revolved around is high unemployment in Tasmania in that area. Mm. Um, and, and I can't remember exactly when this was from, but it, let's say it's probably 20 years ago. But there's real high unemployment in that area, whereas at the Glenorchy Footy Club, there was basically no unemployment. Mm. And so what they did, they did some research and said, well, how come there'd be no unemployment in this community club, yet in the area there's high unemployment? Mm. And when they did the research, they found out that uh, when uh, Davo's uh, advisors that he's lost his job or he's looking for a job, well, one of the sponsors said, yep, no worries, mate, come and uh, I'll get you a job. And so that community made sure everyone did have a job. Yes. So it, it's not just about footy, and this is what I'm trying to get across to some people. Our, our aim is about football, but it's more than football. The mm. community club can do so many things of employment, of health, and, and, and in particular mental health, um, to, to give sense of purpose for people. Um, the joy of winning is, is unbelievable. I know we, we quite talk in junior footy, it's not about winning, it's about having fun. I'll tell you what, when we win, I, I have a lot of fun. So <laughs> it, 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 there are so many outcomes from sport um, that are healthy. And so, you know, there's lots of research done about this. And as I said, with Glenorchy, it was very interesting to, to read that article. Mm, that's, and it makes a lot of sense because I spent a lot of my life down there and uh, certainly I understand it's a lower socioeconomic area, but how powerful that club was for that, uh, that particular part of Hobart, you know? And, um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of rivalry in that uh, in that particular part of the world, in that region, in that league, and um, that 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 fabric in that club is uh, is is still very strong. It's just interesting that they couldn't get players, but I, I do believe a lot of that was due to COVID as well, though. You know, possibly. Mm. So, so yeah, we've got all these challenges and blocks in the way, and um, yeah, just uh, you know, being able to sort of ride the bumps, uh, I think, is really important. Um, now, how can people get hold of you, Craig, if they wanted to uh, to reach out? And my contact details are on the Goodwood Saints Football Club website, but yeah. it's pretty easy. It's president at goodwoodsaints.com.au. Yep, easy. It's uh, pr- pretty easy, yeah. But as I said, all my details are on the uh, website. We, we have an administrator as well, um, which is gsfc at goodwoodsaints.com.au, and, and uh, again, they can get in contact with me anytime. Appreciate it, mate. I'll share this with a few club presidents that I know. And as I mentioned earlier, if anyone uh, uh, is involved with the club uh, or they know someone that's uh, involved with the club, please share this podcast and, uh, you know, have a look at what Craig and his team over there are doing because it obviously works well. And, uh, you know, reach out. Uh, I know you're you're flat out for time, mate, but um, if you have a moment to respond to someone that may be looking for some advice, I'm sure they'd be grateful. I, I always uh, always make time to help other people, um, and it doesn't have to be football. It could be netball. It could be anything because the administration side of it is very very similar. 
the actual playing part is completely different. But from where we sit as club administrators, it is very, very similar. So we can help each other easily. Mm, amazing, mate. Very, uh, very grateful for the conversation, Craig. You're, you're a, an inspiration, uh, and certainly, um, you know what what you've been able to achieve over the last couple of years. There has been an absolute credit to you and your and your outfit. But you know what you've been able to achieve as an individual uh, throughout your life and uh, and career, and um, you know it's just a credit to you and your family. And I'm I'm pretty sure there's going to be plenty uh, of more good years to come. So I'm grateful. Thank you. And uh, grateful to be on because I've, I've really enjoyed it. And uh, it, 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 I feel like we've just sat at the bar uh, in the local country town, had a couple of drinks and just had a chat. And, and I've absolutely really thoroughly enjoyed it. Except I'd be slurring my words by now if we did that. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might be the same too, I reckon, by now. <laughs> Particularly if we were drinking Southwark. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was, uh, I probably was about 16 the last time I drank Southwark, so, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, I remember Ray, Ray Titus giving me one when I was 16, and, uh, yeah, I would never have another one again, so. No, good. no, I, mean, I, I, I can't remember if it's that, or there's one they call the Green Death, but, uh, yeah, look, I, I'm probably more of a um, gin and tonic bloke now. Yeah, yeah, you change, you, you got a bit wiser. Cheers, mate. Oh, definitely, far wiser. <laughs> Thanks, mate.